Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well we're rolling along we're here we're back we're excited we're ready to do podcasts it is monday morning which means we have the whole week ahead of us very exciting uh yeah we we had a couple of good weeks uh, there and some better weather down in new jersey seeing my family i have to admit my highlight was actually like Getting to every time I go home, I get to do my long runs with my dad, and he he rides alongside me as we we do these long rides, uh, which actually I think is is something I was thinking about as I was thinking about today's guest. Uh, this whole idea of of parents and kids riding together, and I realize I've put myself in the kids category still, but and running, but and running, yeah. Um, but some of my like fondest, uh, my only sport memories as a kid were actually like riding with my family, uh, which more often than not did honestly end in tears. But uh, that that's something that today's guest could have helped us with, I think. Well, maybe or maybe you would have ended the day crying once or twice in any case. OK, I should say I wasn't the one in tears, um, but I have a younger sister who I was probably way meaner mm. to than uh, than I should have been. We actually had her on the podcast a year ago to sort of talk about those uh, early coaching moments for me. Yeah, it's interesting. I just saw that article came up in like a Google Alerts or something. I don't know. Someone had tweeted it or something like that. Which one? The one about your sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a fun episode. What was that in? That was in Bicycling or... Uh, well, I did one with her actually for Map um, oh, My right. Run. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then we had her on the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, today's guest is all about getting more women and kids on bikes. We have Kristen Bonkowski, and she runs the Fem Cyclist uh, website and podcast. I was actually just on it a couple weeks ago, so we'll link to that in the show notes if you want to hear sort of my side of the getting into bikes and uh, women's cycling side of things. She also runs rascalrides.com, which is a really great website if you're looking to figure out what bike to get for a kid of pretty much like any young age, sort of up until they're onto adult bikes, uh, which is so, so helpful because I know uh, running the Shred Girls site, I get a ton of questions about what bike do I get for my, my kid? You know, they're graduating from the Strider into maybe the first pedal bike or even the first, you know, 20 inch mountain bike or 24 inch. Do you skip the 24 and just go straight to 26? A uh, lot, of, lot of questions. And she's really, really great for, for answering those and, and helping people get, get their whole families out on bikes. Um, so yeah, today's episode, we're talking all about sort of mountain biking for beginners and just sort of those first few trail rides, how they feel, uh, how, how to not panic or freak out, or even just, especially if you're coming from that road or gravel background, how to not get too down on yourself if the first couple of mountain bike rides feel a little slower. It's actually kind of reminiscent of, uh, I talked with Hillary Spires a few months back about trail running for beginners and sort of that whole thing of like going from the road to the trail, your pace is just, you're slower. It's mm. okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but we also talk a lot about getting, getting your kids out on bikes. And obviously this is not a thing for us, although we have been getting our dachshund DW out in his pack on the bike. Right. Uh, not quite the same thing, but... Uh, yeah, getting your kids to to ride with you or just enjoy riding, I think, is a tricky thing. I mean, you've you've had a lot of clients with with young kids, and how is the whole getting them out on bikes? Well, I mean, people take different approaches, right? There's sort of the trailer approach, and then there's sort of you know trying to integrate it into the day and into family activities. And it's definitely, I, I think of it sometimes as like an investment, right? It's not going to be, you know, your perfect three hour ride with your two year old. You know, obviously, I guess. But yeah, it's, you know, you're thinking that down the road, it's going to be beneficial for them and for the family. And, you know, maybe eventually you get to ride with your kids for a short time before they get faster than you. Uh, but true. that's, that's it. Right. And so you're sort of fitting it in. So that's a lot of people 
fit it in, right? <laughs> like yeah. they do with everything. Yeah, I think the big thing actually I came out of this with was find the if you're able to find a group for your kids to ride with, or even if you can just get their friends together and riding together, that's a huge thing that gets missed really frequently because everyone, you know, obviously you want to ride with your kids. That's such a fun part of being a parent. I, I feel like for some of the cycling people I know, that's, that's almost a big part of why they wanted to have kids was this idea of, oh, we can go on these family bike rides. It's going to be amazing. Uh, but I mean, honestly, like, let's, let's be real. I, we're even getting the, we're now at the age where we're lame. Like kids don't always want to well, hang out with me us. It's a lot like Katie Bowman's podcast. I really like, it's not for everyone, I guess, but she talks a lot about walking and right, lately she's been talking a lot about walking with kids and how we have this mindset that like our walks for adults, you know, it's sort of like everything, you know, if you talk about fitness, you're talking about weight, but if we talk about walks or rides, it's always categorized in distance or speed or how far you went you know these different ways that we think about like a a successful ride a good ride whereas if or a good walk and whereas with dogs or with kids you know their definition of what a walk is for and and especially you know I've read a bunch about dogs because we have a dog but you know what they're trying to get out of this walk is often you know erratic and we don't like it and they like to go sniff stuff and they sprint and then they sit around and it's very different than what we think of as like enough you know a good walk where that dog's all in line the whole time but that's maybe not what the dog is all about and then for kids like a walk is super boring but if we're going somewhere you know not always to get ice cream but sometimes there can be that sort of reward but you know can we build a fort on that ride can we you know, ride our bikes to the lake and then throw stones in the lake. And so thinking about the bike, it's not even a bike ride. It's like, oh, you want to go to your friends. Well, we'll bike there. We want to go. You need this food thing that we don't have in the house. Well, we'll bike there. You know, we are, you want to go swim. We'll bike there versus, you know, so then the bike becomes this tool of empowerment and freedom. And you usually hear that in people, you know, I know that was my own story. That's how we used to get Coke and Coke, not actual Coke, but you know, Coca-Cola uh, and chocolate bars. We'd ride down this big hill and it was actually like looking back, it's still a pretty big hill. We had to go down and then come back up. I'm just caught on the fact that you had to clarify for our <laughs> well, audience. I that, mean, like... I have this storied past, I guess, right? Uh, but no, indeed, Coca-Cola is what, I mean, almost as scandalous, I guess. And for, for you, for me, I Yeah, maybe, I don't know. In any case, it was sort of this, we were able to go only that far because there was like a busy road just past the variety store we went to. Uh, and we would ride down this big sandy hill. It was sort of sketchy and we'd, you know, get chocolate bars <laughs> and pop soda. And then we'd ride back up the hill and the hill is pretty technical. Sometimes I go through there still. And so it's, you know, this freedom where we were able to go do it on our own without supervision. And then, you know, there was a fitness component built into that, I guess, just <laughs> by nature of having to, to get there to make up for all the choco milks. Well, I don't, that wasn't on our mind, but again, that's where adults start thinking about, you need to burn this off, but kids are just, you know just sending it down this hill and back up and can you climb this hill and yeah i don't know it's these winds along the way so i think long story short with that is just thinking about ways that that biking can be a a tool or a a way a means to do other things that are fun and let the biking eventually become fun i think is the way i think about that i love that awesome all right well let's uh let's get in and hear what kristen has to say enjoy the episode Kristen, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited to, to have you and get to like flip the script on interviewing today. Yes, thank you. I'm excited as well. Yeah, and so you you recently had me on your awesome podcast and I'm super excited to chat with you today all about sort of like how you got into this, this whole cycling uh, situation, we'll call it. And I really enjoyed the two different uh, dynamics you have with cycling. You have a lot of focus on women's cycling and sort of getting more riders into mountain biking, but then also like, the, the kids cycling stuff you do is really, I think, helping answer a lot of questions that people have, especially parents who don't necessarily know cycling, but want to bring their kids into cycling. Um, so thank you for all the, the cool stuff that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Make me make it sound great. <laughs> it is great. So I guess actually like, let's, let's kind of say, how did you, how did you get into riding to begin with? What's your origin story for biking? Yeah. So my parents were always kind of into biking and as a kid, they would force us to go like on Saturday mornings, bike to breakfast. And I absolutely hated it. Biking was my least favorite thing and I would cry and cry and they would just drag me along. So I didn't have a very auspicious beginning, but probably when I was a senior in high school, 
I was feeling a little bit like over the whole high school social scene and just at a time where I was ready to find myself outside of that whole high school scene. So my dad and I started road biking together and we signed up for some pretty big road bike um, events right off the bat, which I wouldn't recommend, but I think like my third ride ever. So I did like two rides around the neighborhood to figure out how to shift and all that. And then we went and did this, um, 65 mile ride around the Yellowstone and I showed up and I was in gym shorts and tennis shoes and, you know, like some fleecy top and, I saw everybody in their kits and I didn't even know that was a thing. It was this whole new world to me, but I did that ride and I loved it and I was hooked. And then one of my next rides was doing a 200 mile um, ride. It was hundred mile one day and hundred miles back the next day. It's called Tosser V. Um, And yeah, that was just the beginning. I just loved riding these long distances and really challenging myself And again, I would never recommend starting out that big because I did have like all the knee problems, knee pain (laughs) and all that stuff because I, you know, didn't have a chamois. So my butt hurt. And, uh, but it was a great, great experience to me. It hooked me. Um, so that's how I got into road biking and then mountain biking was in college. So a couple of years later, um, my parents planned a trip with some of their friends to go do the white rim, which is in Moab. And it's, like a hundred and something miles through the desert. And it was a self-supported ride. We did it in like two days, I think two or three days. And that was my first experience, really mountain biking. And then my husband or my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he came along and he loved it also. So we came back to Boise and we bought our first mountain bikes and we started just going out to the trails as often as we could. We were again, you know, still like in our gym shorts and tennis shoes. And <laughs> but uh, that's how we got, got hooked on it. I've never stopped biking since. Oh my gosh. I love it. Uh, when did the actual chamois come into play? Oh, pr- probably shortly after that while I was still in college. But yeah, definitely did some big long rides without having a chamois. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, I mean, also, I was the exact same. I think I actually trained for my first Ironman completely without a chamois. So yeah, I, I understand that. And it's a weird thing that you just kind of accept that that's just what it feels like. It doesn't really right. occur to you that there's an alternative. And right. then you get the chamois and you're like, oh, this is a game changer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, you, you love cycling. So do, so do a lot of people. How did you end up deciding to start you know, the, the femme cyclist and rascal rides, like you have kind of two avenues here, explain it where both of them came from. Yeah. It started out with rascal rides. That was a few years ahead of femme cyclist. Um, and at the time I was a project manager at Boeing. So I was working this like fancy corporate job. And then my son was born and I was not loving doing 40 plus hour weeks and juggling childcare and everything else. And, you know, no, no longer had any time to ride that completely mm-hmm. fell by the wayside. Um, and once my son was about a year old, we started trying to figure out how to bike with him. And we were the very first of our friends to have a child. And we were like still in our twenties, weren't planning on having a kid at that point, ended up having this kid and having to figure out how do we incorporate him into our lifestyle and our love of biking. Um, and there weren't any really resources out up there at that time. So we just started experimenting and trying different things, um, trying like different bike seats to take him out on the trails with us. And I started writing about it. And that was how Rascal Rides was born, which is um, a website I have that just reviews kids' bikes and family cycling gear and gives tips and helps families out so they don't have to start and figure it all out on their own like we did. Oh, I love it so, so much. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a huge thing. Like, I think the world of, and the world of gear is only getting like broader and broader, which is yeah. great, but it's also super intimidating for a parent who wants to, you know, either buy a bike for their like five-year-old and now they're like, wait, do I need like a full suspension? Should it be an e-bike? Uh, what kind right. of, Does, do they need a fat bike? Like there's so many questions now. And like, I think 20 years ago, it was just like, I don't know, you get the tiniest bike that's around and like, yeah. there's, there's your option. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, I mean, it was even 10 years ago because my son is nine now. And when he was born, 
Like none of the brands that we recommend today, like Womb or Trailcraft, like these brands just literally didn't exist. And it's somehow been very fortuitous for us that we got into this at the same time that kids cycling has really boomed. And um, there's so many awesome products out there that just weren't just a few years ago. I could not believe when I was looking, I was doing a piece for Bike Rumor on like the best, uh, I think it was like 20 inch Okay. Uh, bikes for, for kids. And I could not believe what was out there. Yeah. I was just like blown away. And yeah, the, the choices, the, like the small brands that are just completely focused on kids stuff. In addition right. to like, all the big brands have their kids stuff, but right. Yeah. These like really specific brands that are like making this stuff. How, do, so I'm going to, I'm going to like ask you some questions about this. Cause okay. I think there's a ton, I know we have a ton of parents who listen to this and are just so confused by this. Like, what are some tips you have for just even getting started in the process of like figuring out what the heck bike to buy for your, your tiny person? Yeah. Well, first of all, head over to our website. Cause there's a lot of information there. Yes. And that's um, rascalrides.com. We'll put correct. a link to that in the show notes. Yep. Um, but first of all, find out what some of the really great kids bike brands are. And those are like Womb, Prevello, um, in terms of mountain bikes, Trailcraft is doing a really great job. But a lot of these kids boutique brands are doing such a better job than the big, big brands. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we see now Specialized has done some stuff in this last year trying to catch up, but the kids specific bike brands are really offering the best products. So I'd get familiar with those brands to start with. Um, And then the second thing is just to look for a bike that's lightweight. So kids bikes as a percentage of their body weight is huge. Like, um, you know, it's not uncommon for a 40 pound kid to be riding a 20 pound bike and that's 50% of their body weight, which we would never accept for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many kids I see just don't love biking because they're riding these big, heavy bikes. And that was probably the reason when my parents were dragging me to go to breakfast and I was crying was because I was on a bike that was half my body weight. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that would be my other piece of advice. Just look for some of these kids specific brands. And then, um, once you figure out what your budget is, try to buy the lightest possible bike for your child. I love that. Um, now that brings up the question of budget. Can you sort of speak to this? Like, it's so tempting to just go into like a Walmart and just grab yeah. the like tiny person bike and just call it, call it good. But can we talk about like why quality matters? And like, I, I always talk about the resale value of them. Like yes. I'm actually like really impressed with how easy it is to sell a decent kid's bike. It is. Yeah. And especially in some of these brands like Womb, for example, they make a really high quality bike. And then there's two options when your kid's outgrown it. You can turn it into them for credit towards the next size bike. And there's several brands that do that now. Um, or you can go online. So there's an entire Facebook book group dedicated to Womb buy and sell. Um, and during the pandemic, especially you could sell your used bike for more than the original value for it. And that's gone away a little bit, but, um, still you can get a really great resale value out of those bikes. And not to mention if you have multiple children, when you invest in a good quality bike, you're going to be able to hand it down to all of those kids and probably your nephews and your cousins and all Mm -hmm. these, um, whereas a Walmart bike is going to last a year and then it's going to end up in the landfill. So the, the longevity of a more expensive bike makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now what about, this is like maybe a weird question. I'm not sure if you'll have an answer for this. Uh, okay. Seat height is sort of an interesting thing when it comes to, again, the, the little people, uh, yeah. the, t- the tiny peeps, uh, any tips for parents? Because I noticed so many kids rolling around very uncomfortably on their, like, you know, they're like nine, 10 years old and their seats are so low that their knees are like, you know, just going out every which way. And just like, they seem so uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So it really depends on what um, point in the writing learning journey the child is on. So it's like really little kids. And nowadays we have balance bikes. So kids are learning on a balance bike and then learning to pedal at two and a half years old or what, like very young. Right. So for these really little kids, you do want the seat height to be lower when they're first learning because you want them to be able to put their feet still flat on the ground and almost do that balance bike motion to get started and then start pedaling without ever using um, training wheels. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, I really recommend parents measure your child's inseam 
and then compare it to the minimum seat post height on the bike you're considering to make sure that you're going to be able to put the saddle low enough that the kid can put their feet flat on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, yeah, obviously once you have a confident peddler, you want to make sure that the seat is high enough. Um, and it's very, it's similar to an adult. So if I'm just going to eyeball it, I have the kids stand next to the bike and then raise the saddle to about like their mid hip point. Mm -hmm. Um, and they should be able to, you know, put their toes on the ground, but not be flat footed. Mm -hmm. Love it. And the reminder that kids grow like weeds sometimes. So like yeah, yeah. Your, your seat height last week might actually be like an inch too short this week. Yeah. And that is actually, we always recommend to look for a bike with a quick release seat post collar on it. Or if it doesn't have one, buy one on Amazon, they're real cheap and swap it out because yes, so you're going to be doing seat height adjustments all the time as kids grow. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and then what other gear do you think is important for a kid's bike or super fun for a kid's bike or, and like, and clothing wise. Cause I know, yeah. you know, some kids are super into or some parents I should say are super into getting like the full, like somehow their kid is more aerodynamic than like I am. Um, <laughs> and then others are just in, you know, regular street clothes. So what's, what do we want? What's, what's fun to have, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the obvious must have is a helmet. Mm -hmm. Don't ever buy your child the bike without giving them a helmet, which you would think would be common sense, but it's not always. Um, the other safety thing that a lot of parents don't think about are gloves. And I think that's almost as important as a helmet because kids fall a lot, especially when they're learning. And if they fall without gloves on, you're going to um, scrape up their little hands. So I always say helmet and gloves are like the non-negotiable items. And then everything after that is sort of for fun. And also, um, if your child's getting more serious about it, the next thing I would recommend is like a good quality pair of pedals and shoes. Um, so like flat pedals, we really love the Cro-Mag um, pedals for kids. They make a kid's specific little tiny mountain bike pedal that's great. Um, 510 makes kids bike shoes as does ride concepts now. So just looking for like a really good grippy shoe vans also work really well. Nice. I love um, it. yeah. And then and your kid's going to be super cool too. So, that's right. <laughs> and the funny thing is that a lot of parents are like, well, why would you buy these things for your kids? They can just ride in their regular clothes and yeah, they can, but sometimes those little things make it's so much more exciting and motivating for them. So if you're having a kid, it's like, doesn't want to ride their bike, help let them pick out some neat accessory. And, um, yeah, it can be hugely motivating. Heck that's how I get motivated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Um, and any, any tips for getting a, well, and maybe it's sort of the anti-tip, uh, getting a kid to ride who maybe is like not super interested in riding. Cause I mean, this is, this is what you dealt with growing up. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is peer pressure. So like, even when we're talking about <laughs> like little toddlers learning to ride balance bikes and I hear parents say, well, they don't have any interest in riding the balance bike. And I say, well, find, find a neighbor, find a friend who's into their balance bike, or even an older kid who's a pedaling, because just seeing another kid excited about biking can be hugely motivating. So for little older kids, um, a great place to go is like a pump track or a skills park. If you have one nearby to see other kids riding, and there's just a lot of excitement, um, there mm -hmm. and also finding kids, bike clubs or development programs near you. Um, even now, like sometimes my son will get sick and say, I don't want to bike anymore. But really what he means is he doesn't want to bike with mom and dad anymore. And as soon as we get a friend out with us, he he's really into it again. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's so important. Like my, my mom always says like the only, like the day I decided like I was done with training wheels was because my neighbor got his yeah. training yep. wheels off. And like, I came home that day and I was like, take mine off now. Like there's no negotiation on this. Like I'm going to learn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I did. And that was what got me into it. And that's, I yeah. mean, we talked about this on your podcast. That's actually also, unfortunately, what got me out of it was, you know, then I hit the age where there just weren't other girls riding anymore. Right. So I stopped. Right. Um, so it's so important, especially if you're the parent of, of a young girl to make sure she has those like 
similar others to, to ride with. Yes. Yes. And fortunately nowadays, like with little Bellas and there's so, so many organizations doing really great things for girls. So there's mm-hmm. lots of, lots of opportunity that there didn't used to be. Yeah. And I, I hate to have to remind myself of this because a couple of years ago, I might've still fit into like the young and cool category, but like, <laughs> yeah. like we are no longer young no, and cool. Like not at all. <laughs> we might feel it. Like I might think <laughs> that I'm like this cool 17 year old, like cool, you know, role model for these, but I'm, I'm really not now I'm like the old one. So I, right. I try to remember that. And I think as parents, like it's, it's probably really hard to suddenly realize like we're the uncool ones now. And you're like, but, but I swear other people think we're cool. Um, yeah. But your, your 12 year old does not believe that. No, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Awesome. That's so much good advice for, for the, you know, people who are trying to get their kids on bikes and just like had no idea. And again, Rascal Rides is such a good resource for them. I'm, I'm so happy. I've like sent it to so many people at this point. Oh, thank you. I mean, I, I don't know from kid bikes. I don't have kids. <laughs> so it's great to have a, a good place to send them. Um, and let's get into your, your other project here. Sure. Femme cyclist. Uh, how did that come about? How do you find time for all these projects? <laughs> well, that, that was the piece I failed to mention earlier is I was working this corporate job, um, and ended up quitting it so I could ride my bike more and work on these projects. So that that's how it's now my full-time job between rascal rides and, and femme cyclist. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So femme cyclist, how did that, yes. how did that come about? Yeah. So it was at the same time, um, that I quit, had quit my job and I went on a year long road trip to go biking more. And I just also, you know, kept reading all of my husband's bike magazines. He's obsessed with bike magazines and it subscribes to every single one that exists. And, and every time journalist, I read, I appreciate it. <laughs> <Okay. him deeply. laughs> so I would open them, them up and, you know, there would be like a specific issue. Like this one issue is dedicated to women or yep. this one column is written by a woman. And it still felt like it was like tokenism, right? Like we're just going to, here's one woman's bike or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see a lot of articles or reviews being done specifically for women. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was where Femme Cyclist came about was that I just wanted to create a little bit more space in cycling media for women um, as as opposed to just being a smaller piece of a a men's publication. and it's just also evolved into this really great community. Um, I get to meet so many amazing women as a part of it. And it's hugely inspirational, uh, all the things that are happening right now in women's cycling and how much, how quickly it's growing and how much <laughs> power it's gaining. So it's just great to get to be a part of all of that. Oh, I love it. Um, and you know, one thing we really wanted to talk about is, you know, you, you started on the road now you're more into mountain biking and I think mountain biking, I'll start with the women's side of it and then we'll kind of broaden it out just to begin yeah. mountain biking. But I think mountain biking, especially for women is just really intimidating. If mm-hmm. you haven't done, if you didn't grow up doing it, if you've never done it before, like, why do you think it's, it's so scary for, for women specifically, we'll start with. Well, I think and this is changing a little bit, but um, I think it's still true in that there are so many more men mountain biking than there are women. Mm-hmm. And ex- depending on the area you're in, you might be able to go out on the trails and never see another woman. So I think that's hugely intimidating, just not seeing any examples um, and feeling like you have to kind of break into this space. Um, additionally, women, just for whatever reason, we struggle with confidence and for mountain biking, it's something that requires confidence. You're not going to do well if you're not feeling confident. So I think that, um, those two things are the biggest things that hold women back from the sport. I think you're totally right. And it's funny because mountain biking is actually maybe the best example of how sometimes blind confidence actually like outweighs technical yeah. capabilities. That's right. <laughs> right? Like, you're like aiming at a log and you're like, if I'm just confident that I'm going to get over this, probably going to get over it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Versus like, if you, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, even though you have all of the technical skills to do it, if you're like, I don't think I'm going to make it over that log. And you won't, you won't, you that's absolutely right. won't. So it, it's, 
you're right. Maybe that's why men are, <laughs> men are naturally more inclined. I think it. so. Yeah. <laughs> like they're used to blind confidence. That's right. <laughs> studies have shown. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, okay, so once once we do, okay, once we kind of are acknowledging this, how do we how do we get on the trail for like the first time or the second time? Is it sort of similar to the is it is it similar to the kids? Like, do we find a group? Is that our our first like move? Or I think it's super just dependent on you. Um, Thank you for saying that because yeah, I think the number one advice is always like find your like find a group of like minded people. But for like introverts like me, I'm like yeah, cool. I'll put that on the calendar and I'm gonna put that off again. And <laughs> yeah. Put that off again. And put that off again. <laughs> that's right. So I think that's true. Like I too am an introvert, and I started out just going by myself, and that was fine. And I think that there's something to that too. It's just going out on your own and making mistakes when there's nobody watching Mm -hmm. and walking that hill when there's nobody watching you do it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just kind of going out and starting to learn on your own. The Mm -hmm. thing is, is that at some point you are going to want to ride with better riders because a chasing faster riders makes you faster and watching them ride more technical things and watching their position on the bike that can help a lot in helping progress. Um, the other thing is if you are, um, just feel intimidated to go out on your own, start out, like you can go on your very first ride as part of a clinic. There are all kinds of beginners, women's clinics, and there's nothing wrong with starting there. That's a, you won't ever learn any bad habits. You'll learn how to position your body properly right off the bat. And, um, there are so many options now too. It's really wherever mm-hmm. you live, you can find something nearby to help you out. Uh, there are also a lot of great women's clubs, that do beginner rides. And if you're more of a group person in a group mentality, that can be a great way to find encouraging women to help teach you and show you the ropes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I will also add for the guys listening, there are also tons of beginner mm-hmm. clinics that are open to like men and women. And I think, you know, we, we kind of almost ignore that, that side for, for men too, or we sort of yeah. assume like men are just going to like bust into it and it's going to be fine. They're going to figure it out. But like they can benefit so much from all of this, those exact same thing. So that's yeah. right. Everyone. Yeah. I'm everyone. so used to talking about women, are but so you're good. correct. It's um, for all people. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to put that out there for any guys yep. who are listening. So I, I think, yeah, it, it tends to get, get skipped sometimes. So shout out to the guys going to beginner clinics. You're amazing. Agreed. Um, <laughs> now, when you first started mountain biking, like if you could go back and give your like your newbie self, maybe a few pieces of advice that you've, uh, you've learned over the years or things that you tell people as, as you're you know, helping them get started, what would you tell yourself? I think I would have gone to one of those clinics first. Yeah. I was a few years in before I did that. And that completely transformed my abilities, my writing ability, um, made me more confident on technical trails. I think one, of, um, and one of the things I wish I had learned sooner was like, get out of your saddle when you're descending. That's the number one mistake I see beginners making. And you would even tell them like, get up out of your saddle. And then the next thing they'll just be sitting down again. Like, no, spend the entire descent out of your saddle. And that's something that took me a while to learn that I Mm -hmm. wish I had learned sooner. Yeah. And I'd say that applies to many times in mountain biking. Like I'm definitely like a saddle person. Like I will, Mm -hmm. I need to remind myself constantly to, to move my ass. Yes. And once I do, I'm always so much happier, but uh, if you're from, if you come from the road, you're so used to like, unless you're climbing, you're probably right. But on the saddle. So it's, it's kind of almost the reverse in mountain biking. A lot of the time when you're climbing, you actually need to be in the saddle to keep that back tire down. Right. And then you descend and you're out of the saddle. So exactly. It is a very weird, like brain switch, uh, when you, when you first get started there. Yeah. And the one thing that beginners have now that I didn't have when I was a beginner are dropper posts. Yeah. And more and more of the entry level bikes even are being stocked with dropper posts. And that could be so helpful when you're first, I mean, it's always helpful, but it's really helpful when you very first start riding and learning to descend to get that saddle down out of your way. Mm-hmm. And like, you can't, you can't sit if it's out of the way, it's just like you're training your brain to like, not sit down. Cause you can't, right? <laughs> or you'd be very uncomfortable if you did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now I, I will admit I've actually like had trouble with the dropper post. Like I've had them on bikes and I'm actually really bad at remembering to use them Okay, because for like 10 years, I yeah. 
didn't. Uh, That's any, right. Any thoughts? I mean, I, I imagine you're, you would have been similar when you, when you first started using one, any tips for making you start using it? Oh, I think just if you get to the top of a big climb and, you know, if like in Boise, for instance, all of our rides are like a big climb and then a big descent. So it's a little easier to remember in those cases because mm. you climb all the way to the top, you have your snack break or your water break or whatever, and then drop it before you head down. Um, another thing is just, again, if you're riding with a group of maybe a little more experienced riders, everybody gets to the top and everybody drops their seats. So that's a good like reminder. Oh yeah, this is what everybody else is doing. And I should too. Mm-hmm. And on that same note, uh, eating and drinking on the mountain bike are sort of one yeah. of the, the biggest issues that I have. And I know a ton of people have any tips for remembering to, and actually doing it. Yeah. Um, so drinking, I am like on the road bike, I just use water bottles, but on the mountain bike, I ride with a hip pack, um, because it's much easier for me personally to drink out of that hose on my hip pack than it is to get a bottle out of the cage and, um, get the bottle back into the cage when I'm done. So Mm -hmm. a hip pack helps me remember to drink and actually do it in terms of eating. I have a little, um, top tube bag. And it's like right in front of me. And sometimes if it's like in a race, when I might forget to eat, I'll even like put a note on there to remind myself to get some food out to eat, or I'll tape like a gel or something to my top tube. So it's visually reminding myself, mm-hmm. but, um, and then the other option is if, you know, you're struck, if you are in a race situation, if you're just riding then stop and eat your snack, don't worry about it. But if you are racing and you need to eat on the mountain bike, um, things like, um, just adding a calorie drink to your water can be a good way to get those calories in because it can be a little challenging to take a hand off the bars and technical areas to drink. So that's a good way to get, um, some calories in, Mm -hmm. but I think the other thing is just to practice when you're not in a race situation or not in a group ride situation, just practice drinking and eating all on your own. So you get, um, comfortable taking your hands off the bar to, to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Race day should not be the day you're, you're learning how to eat on the bike. Right. For sure. Just popping in for a quick word from one of our sponsors. Did you know that you can make a Google forms accept payments? That's right. The payable add-on for the Google workspace works with your Google form and lets you accept payments. So if you use a Google form to collect information about, say, uh, camp registration, you could get all those key details about your campers, and then you could accept payment right at the end of the form. And then the great thing is that it goes into a Google sheet. So then you have all that key information, medical, you know, where they live, their age, what group they're in, uh, all in a convenient Google sheet that you can then share around with your you know, your, your, the people you're running the camp with, or for us, we did Jersey order forms. So we had all the different sizes for the jerseys and where we were shipping them. We were able to send uh, the information about the sizes to the manufacturer and then it came back. And, and the great thing is that the payment got taken care of at the same time. There was no collecting payments later or having to search for the payment information. Yeah, it's super fast, super easy, whether you're doing a one-time thing or a subscription payment. Uh, it's just awesome because it saves you having to set up a whole e-commerce platform. If you're just trying something new, just seeing how it works, uh, you don't run into monthly fees, you don't run into huge percentages taken off. Uh, even some of these young athletes who are doing those sponsor me to go to world championships or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. they've you know used platforms like GoFundMe in the past, but that actually takes a solid 10% of That's your, right. Right. your Whereas profits. Whereas here we're using, you know, PayPal, Square, Stripe, your choice. Uh, and you're going to be closer to, say, uh, a 3%, you know, plus or minus, depending on what you're doing. So it can be a really effective solution. Again, say you were doing a GoFundMe, uh, you're going to some race or you're raising money or something like that. could be a great, great solution for this one-time, one-off thing or something you're not doing all the time. Yes. So you can check that out over at payableapps.com. That's P-A-Y-A-B-L-E apps.com and you can get started it takes about five minutes to set up the form yep. it's, once you install the add-on it's very it sort of walks you through it's great uh, yes. once you're in that google forms environment yeah wildly convenient definitely check it out if you are trying to sell anything yeah and i mean okay so speaking of racing we're coming mm-hmm. into we're coming into race season here yeah and a lot of people haven't raced in you know three years now, two, three years. Right. Uh, so even the people who aren't beginners are, uh, starting to feel the like, Oh geez, 
uh, stress of, of racing. Um, any, any tips for beginner mountain bike racers, I guess, hitting, hitting the start line. Yeah. So for beginners, the number thing I wonder, blah, blah, blah. number <laughs> one thing I would do is go out and pre-ride the course. If you can, if it's something local to you, go ride it at least once beforehand. So you know, what's coming up. Um, number two thing is especially for your very first race, just let go of the results. You don't need to win your first mountain bike race. And if you get last place, that doesn't even matter. I've gotten second to last place before and it's fine. Um, everybody's going to be super stoked that you're out there and you're not sitting on the couch or going to the mall that, you know, that you're trying a mountain bike race. So it doesn't matter. And I'd let go of some of those nerves around how you're going to end up placing. You can always um, train really hard and focus on results at a later time. hundred percent. Yeah. Getting through that first race. I think that's, yeah. that's your goal is get through it. Yeah. And the other thing I would practice ahead of time too, is passing. Like if Ooh. you can have, maybe go out on a group ride and do some practice p- passing, because that's one of the most intimidating things for a first time racer. I love that. Even for, even for a very advanced, I see a lot of advanced masters still not being great at passing. And that's such a fun thing to do with your friends, especially maybe a friend that you're in kind of a fight with. And you're like a little excited to kind of (laughs) shove them off the trail. I don't know. (laughs) But that is such a good tip for any level of racer. Yeah. Especially now when your, your skills at like everyone's skills are going to be rusty at this right now. Absolutely. So, so good. Get out with your friends and try to shove them in corners and take them out. <laughs> uh, don't, no, don't do that. Uh, but do try to pass them on the trails. Uh, <laughs> oh, so good. Um, any tips for, I mean, mountain biking's weird because pacing during races is just super, super difficult because, you know, you're in technical sections where, your heart rate's going to kind of drop down because you, you're just trying to navigate the thing. Then mm-hmm. other sections where it's going to go like wildly up because you're climbing a thing and then it's going to drop because you're descending. Or in my case, it's probably going to go up because you're descending and you're terrified. Uh, <laughs> how do you, how do you think about pacing for, especially your first few mountain bike races where like, you know, that feeling when you go into like the start of the race and you're like, 30 seconds in, you're like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I'm dying. Yeah, yeah, yes, I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. How do we navigate that feeling? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think that's where it's important, maybe in your first couple of races, not to worry about results and just begin to feel what it feels like to go out hard and how hard you can start. Um, The other thing is to consider just the distance of the race. So if it's, a pretty short, fast cross country race, then go buck wild. <laughs> you know, what's um, your worst case, right? Like, yeah. You kind of bonk and you have to finish really slow. Well, you didn't have expectations anyway. That's right. So. <laughs> but I see, like, I like to specialize in endurance races and I see so many people start out at those races, just going hundred miles an hour. And then like two miles up the trail, you know, they're already off their bike yeah. puking or whatever. So, um, I always like to think somebody told me, you know, you have a box of matches and every time you do one of those really hard efforts, like the start line, you're burning a match. So make sure that that's where you want to be burning that match. And I'll like actually think about that while I'm doing an endurance race. Is this a good spot for me to be burning a match? And then if not, I need to back it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does take a few races to realize how many matches you have. If yeah, you that's will. right. Right? right. Like you have no idea. Like when, you know, it's similar. Like I was doing that hundred miler recently and I kept thinking like, don't burn all your matches. And then I was like, oh crap. I don't know how many matches I have. I've never done this before. That's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> so why, it's a that's why racing isn't just about fitness, right? It's also about skill in and of itself. And the more often you race, the better you're going to get at it. And the better Mm -hmm. you're going to understand what your strategy is going into the race and how your body performs in a race and how much you need to be eating and drinking and what your body can handle. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Um, and I think also maybe just noting that like, you know what, everyone feels that way. Like 30 seconds into that race, like when your legs start burning and you think you can't do it, literally everyone is feeling that exact same feeling. I think that's more like a, it's more in your head than it actually is in your legs really. Yeah. But expect that like terrible, heavy leg, Bernie feeling. Oh yeah. It's fine. fine. It'll pass. (laughs) Just breathe. (laughs) 
I'm like waiting for the race where I don't have that feeling and I don't think it's ever going to happen. So yeah, I've accepted it. (laughs) Oh, so good. Um, also can we talk even backing up from like in the race, let's talk about like the, and this is also maybe just like forgetting to like group trail rides too. Um, most mountain biking does include riding or I know you live right by a trail so you can just ride out of your garage if I yeah if I remember right um yeah that's right yeah but most people have to drive to their their rides and to races um any any tips for like making sure you have everything and like any any special stuff you like bringing like give me I love yeah. a good gear chat about organization. I think ah, well, I'm so probably important. my husband would laugh right now because he thinks I'm super unorganized. <laughs> um, but let's see, because I do ride from my garage, I have a little area of the garage set up with um hooks. So I have like my, my um hip pack right there, and I have my helmet right there with my gloves tucked inside and my shoes, and I can get going pretty fast. And that's really important. Um, you know, especially most of us work and have kids Mm -hmm. or families or whatever the case may be. So just knowing that you can get out pretty quickly helps, um, for the car. And I used to live somewhere where, um, I had to drive to a trailhead. So I've been there and understand that completely. I personally used a big duffel bag that had compartments in it. And then at the end of each ride, I'd make sure that it was restocked and I got clean socks in there. Um, and it was all ready to go for my next ride. So I think that's super helpful mm-hmm. in a car. You can also, you know, leave a floor pump in the car. So you always have that leave a rag and chain lube in there, have a little kit in your car. Um, so you don't get to the trailhead and realize you don't have something that you need. Huge, Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, as far as tools go on my ride, I just leave my hip pack. I have a little tool packed pouch that has my a mini pump and my tire levers and my mini tool and all of that. And that's in my hip pack too. So it's always there ready to go. Nice. I love it. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm such a big fan of like the giant gear bag, which just sort of has yeah everything in it and neatly organized, but like all in one thing instead of yeah. like 18 little bags that you have to remember to bring. Right. <laughs> there are some really great ones out there too. Like if you're looking into invest in a bag that are specific made, for mm-hmm. mountain biking that have, you know, the helmet compartment and all the different mm-hmm. compartments for you. But also like I've seen people use milk crates in the back of their car yep. and they have milk crate for the different gear. So whatever works for you. Yeah. 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 We just have like a couple massive duffel bags that have like no compartments. And then we use like, we get like mesh bags and have everything like sorted into those, um, which makes more sense for our travel since we do so many different sports that way we're yeah. not like contained to like, oh, the helmet goes here, but we're not we're not riding today. Uh, she gets annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I could talk about this uh, as a tangent all day, um, but I will, uh, we'll shift back to what you're, you're sort of best known for here. Uh, but you mentioned in the beginning is like the, the idea of riding with your son. Um, and I know a lot of people are always, you know, wondering how to like incorporate their families into their, mm-hmm. into their rides. And that's a huge thing, whether we're talking, you know, wanting to train while also riding with the family or just, getting the whole family out and enjoying the ride, uh, counter to how your childhood went. Uh, yeah. What are your tips for riding uh, fun for the whole family? Yeah. So when kids are little, it's almost easier because you can just force them to go and they're up for anything. Right. Um, and unlike a lot of families, we actually did like some really big rides with our son when he was young. Um, we used a front mounted bike seat before he could ride his own bike. And, um, both my husband and I had the skill level where we felt comfortable doing that. I know that's not for everybody, but it worked well for us. So I'd say, you know, a bike seat to get started. And then once your child's on their own bike, um, there are tow ropes you can use. There's the towy and kids ride shotgun also makes a tow rope. And those are amazing because, Um, Your child still has control of their own bike. They're still pedaling they're still gaining their skills, but you can just help them go a little faster and make it up hills. They wouldn't be able to go up either. uh, Otherwise. Nice. And And it's a bit of extra work for you too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Bonus. Get some extra training as well. Yes. (laughs) Um, Now that our son is older, we don't use a tow rope really anymore. Um, and he's also gotten a little bit more pushback on what he wants to do. And he is 
very much gravity um, oriented. So we have started doing a lot more downhill mountain biking nice. and we've served mountain biking and shuttle riding. And I think it's um, important just to remember to make it fun for your child. And a lot of times for kids, climbing and endurance is not fun yet. Um, it will is be it, for them someday, but ever? not now. Yeah, yeah. Hang on a well, second. Yeah, yeah, I think you do, right? <laughs> you get that type two fun that yeah, um, yeah. you do start to equate like the suffering with something that's enjoyable, but kids don't, they don't have that yet. Um, so I think it's just important to remember to keep it fun. And if that means you do a shuttle ride rather than forcing your child to ride up the mountain, then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's sort of the important part, especially with getting kids riding is I think a lot of them also drop out because they get kind of dragged along on these like family adventures that are super fun for the parents. And like, it's, it's hard. Like, I imagine it's very hard to like suddenly not be doing like the rides that you want to be doing with the kids or have the kids be like, I don't want to ride today. And you're like, no, but if you can find, I think a lot of I see a lot of parents who are really into cycling and they don't incorporate their children for that reason, because they're like, I just, this is my time. I want to get out for a training ride. Mm -hmm. And, um, in my opinion, it was always more important to, um, make this a family sport. So it's very individual in terms of whether or not you want to put in the time and the energy. But I think that the time and energy that you put into it, especially when they're little, um, it creates an amazing bond being out there together, biking and exploring together. And it also provides your child with the skills they're going to need to have this as a sport in life if they choose Mm -hmm. um, to go that direction. So yeah, like all things in life, you invest it, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. You sort of said the magic thing there about skills acquisition. And like, I I keep saying to my parents, I'm like furious with them for not sort of like keeping me on the bike a little bit more, even if it had just been like nudging me to just like go play in the backyard on it, like a tiny bit more. Cause those skills are so much harder to learn as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) definitely, definitely agree. Yeah. Um, Okay. Before we, before we sort of wrap this up, can you tell everyone where they can find you on all of the different platforms? Because I feel like everyone needs to follow at least one of the things that you're doing because they're all very, very helpful. <laughs> well, thank you. So my websites are femcyclist.com and rascalrides.com. And then we're on all the different social media platforms as rascal underscore rides and fem underscore cyclist. Excellent. Awesome. Kristen, thank you so much for, for chatting with me about these. I feel like this is just such invaluable stuff for, for parents and for people who are looking to get into mountain biking. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.